0: Hello everyone. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hey. Oh hey. hey. Oh hey. Hi.
1: Let's start talking
0: Thank you all for coming to the fifth annual Carbro Anarchist Book Fair. So, um I hope you all are enjoying your food. Are you enjoying the food? Okay, great. So what's going to happen for the next little while is we're going to do a live recorded episode of the X Worker Podcast. We have never recorded it live before, so this is going to be an experiment, and maybe it won't work, but maybe it'll be really exciting. So we invite y'all to like hang out and continue to eat and socialize, but then we'll also be going through uh, some descriptions of recent news happenings, um, some interviews with folks here at the Book Fair describing. Uh, projects that they're tabling for or workshops that they've done and um, updates about prisoners and things like that and then we'll finish up with a few announcements about upcoming events other book fairs, things like that and then we'll head off to clean up and dance party (laughs) The Ex-Worker
1: An audio strike against the monotone world
0: a twice-monthly podcast of anarchist ideas and action.
1: For everyone who dreams of a life off the clock. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode number 31 of The Ex-Worker. Hello, Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
1: <laughs>
0: my name is Alanis.
1: And I'm Clara, and we'll be your hosts this day
0: uh we have an exciting program for you this evening we're gonna share some of our news on the hot wire with some depressing and some exciting things to announce as per usual and then we're gonna have a series of interviews with a bunch of folks who've been participating here in the book fair and you'll get a chance to hear about some workshops if you missed them hear from some tablers and some updates from other places and projects and we hope you'll enjoy it
1: We'll be talking to a couple different people who've given presentations, including uh, report backs from the Candia's eviction in Barcelona. Um, we're going to hear a letter from Luke O'Donovan, um, read by one of his friends and supporters, and uh, a couple other people, so stay tuned.
0: And if you'd like to learn more about the podcast uh, or send us any feedback, you can visit our website at crimethink.com slash podcast. You can also send an email to podcast at crimethink.com. Well,
1: let's get started.
0: All right. So uh, now it's time for the hot wire, which is our updates from riots, rebellions, and resistance around the world. Clara, what's in the news?
1: Carlos, Amelie, and Fallon, the three anarchists in prison in Mexico on charges of arson against a Nissan dealership, have been convicted and sentenced to prison terms. Seven and a half years on federal charges and two and a half years plus payment of damages on local charges.
0: Some good news to share. The conviction of the Angola Three prisoner Albert Woodfox has been overturned by an appeals court. This is terrific news, but Albert, who has spent the last 42 years in solitary confinement in Louisiana, has not yet been released. Stay tuned for updates and info on how to support him at angolathreenews.blogspot.com. And also, I just found out in another exciting prisoner release news to announce just as of yesterday, Brian Jacob Church of the NATO Three has been released from prison. So, congratulations, Jacob. And uh, we'll be hearing some more later this evening about strategies for supporting folks after they've gotten out of prison. So, stay tuned for that.
1: Don Blankenship, former CEO for the giant coal company Massey Energy and all around scumbag, has been indicted on charges of security fraud and violating mine safety standards for his role in a 2010 disaster in which 29 workers were killed in West Virginia. In theory, he could spend up to 31 years in prison. We're skeptical. And he's not being charged for making millions for mountaintop removal coal mining, the practice of blowing up entire mountains to get coal from within them, in which his former company specialized, and the incalculable human and ecological devastation this causes, nor with the horrific consequences for air and water quality and global climate change that dependence on coal energy produces.
0: In similar news... The former prison commissioner for the state of Mississippi, Christopher Epps, was recently arraigned on corruption charges, accused of raking in almost a million dollars in bribes and kickbacks in exchange for directing lucrative contracts to a former state legislator. While Epps got payments towards his condo on the beach and multiple Mercedes-Benz cars, the companies tied to the crooked politician he worked with got to run a notoriously brutal and corrupt private prison, oversee commissary services that offer necessities to prisoners at hideously exploitative prices, and determine Medicaid eligibility for people in prison. In other words, while thousands of prisoners rotted in miserable conditions without healthcare, their suffering was literally funding these rich men's cars and condos dollar by dollar.
1: It would be poetic justice on a certain level if these scumbags ended up rotting in the same facilities they used to run, surrounded by the same prisoners whose exploitation is used to fund their luxurious lifestyles. But the problem isn't the laws they broke. It's the system that says it's perfectly legal to profit off stuffing thousands of humans into cages, so long as you follow the state's rules and free market to determine who profits and how much.
0: Speaking of prisons... Do y'all remember back in 2010 when a court ruled that the California state prison system had to release thousands of inmates because the overcrowding and inhumane conditions uh, were so unconstitutional? Well, the state's lawyers have been fighting tooth and nail to uh, against any plan to reduce the prison population, as you might expect. But now they have sunk to a new low. Lawyers from the state attorney general's office challenged a court ruling forcing them to expand an early parole program on the grounds that releasing more prisoners would reduce the pool of cheap labor available to the state. That's right. Prison slavery is now being cited not as a problem, but as a reason in favor of mass incarceration, legally, because otherwise the government would have to pay firefighters and other workers for the work that thousands of prisoners are doing now for less than $2 a day.
1: The U.S. House of Representatives passed the bill authorizing the Keystone XL oil pipeline. the Rosebud Sioux tribe whose tribal lands are in South Dakota declared the government vote an act of war and vowed to close their borders to the pipeline the bill failed to pass the Senate though this hollow victory as Rising Tide called it will likely be overturned in January when the new Congress gets to town
0: one member of the Hombucker Forest occupation remains in jail after an eviction on October 30th in which numerous occupiers were violently attacked and arrested by police and corporate security guards
1: The good citizens of Denton, Texas passed a resolution banning fracking within their town, despite nearly 700,000 spent by fracking companies intended to discourage them. As Mayor Chris Watts stated, the democratic process is alive and well in Denton. In response, the chair of the state bureaucracy that regulates gas and oil drilling said that she didn't give a shit what the good citizens of Denton think, and that she would go ahead and give the fracking companies permits to operate regardless, because only she and her state government cronies and not the people who live on that land and face the consequences of fracking, have the right to decide. Democracy is indeed alive and well. This is why we fucking need anarchy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In uh, animal liberation news, 11 vehicles were torched at a foie gras company in Gourdon, France, while in the Spanish village of Villafuela, around 1,000 partridges destined for hunting by the rich were freed by the Animal Liberation Front.
1: The Russian government is considering plans to begin using reindeer-mounted police to patrol indigenous communities living in the frozen tundra regions of the far north. Why is this news?
0: Um, Outside Pretoria, South Africa, poor people working with a group called the Economic Freedom Fighters have begun expropriating land and building shacks. The ruling ANC party has condemned them, saying that they are undermining the government's plans to help out the poor themselves... And sent police to fire on the squatters.
1: A food riot in Banu, Pakistan, injured 17 police, who unfortunately killed two rioters and arrested 150.
0: Thousands of Kenyans protested in the streets of Nairobi after a woman was brutally attacked by a group of men for wearing a mini
2: skirt.
1: University students have been writing all over the place, in Lusaka, Zambia, in Bogota, Colombia, in Ankara, Turkey, and in Makassar, Indonesia, where a deputy police chief was shot with an arrow.
0: In Israel, the protests and the general strike of the Arab community have taken place to protest the police murder of a young Arab man.
1: And in the weirdest Green Capitalist recuperation news, we've heard all day, a bus company based in the city of Bath in the UK has inaugurated the so-called <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, poo bus, <laughs> <laughs> which, is
3: <laughs> which is powered
0: entirely by biomethane gas generated from the treatment of sewage in food waste. According to the company, the average person's yearly poop outputs can power the bus approximately 37 miles.
1: <laughs> Clearly, I'm five years old. This is great. And finally, we've just heard that Nigerian anarchist Sam Mbah has died. He was a lawyer, journalist, activist, and the author of the classic book African Anarchism. And that's it for the wire. Wow.
0: So I remember hearing from a friend who went to an anarchist book fair in Peru earlier this year say that one of the things that was really touching about the book fair there was the opportunity that folks made for all the different tablers and projects to stand up at some point during the day and give a brief description of why they were there and what their project was so that it could sort of weave together a sense of cohesion between all the different projects that were happening. And so sort of in that spirit... What we want to take this time to do is to give an opportunity to a number of different folks who are here to table or give presentations or reports uh, a chance to talk about what they're working on and share it both with y'all here who may not have had a chance to go to that workshop or see that table, and also to all the folks who will get to listen to or read this podcast who can't make it to this book fair. So, uh, to get started, Uh, The book fair kicked off last night, Friday night, with a talk about Southern insurrectionary history, which was packed out the door for a scintillating three hours, and uh, is uh, full of a lot of really interesting stories that are unknown to many of us, even those of us who have lived here most of our lives. So, I would like to ask Savannah to come up and tell us a little bit about that.
4: This one's only going to be about an hour and a half, so <laughs> you guys want to continue the nap that you started last night? Who's of time to do it?
0: So uh, we started last night, like I said, with this discussion of hundreds of years of southern <laughs> insurrectionary history, which was totally fascinating and really reframed a lot of what I thought I knew about the history of the South or the composition of different struggles in the South. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the broader project that y'all have been working on that uh, your presentation is a part of.
2: Yeah,
4: Um, so this kind of started loosely a couple years ago, I guess three years ago now, um, with just some friends kind of figuring out who else was interested in history in our area and wanted to um, kind of expand on an ongoing zine project that had already started with Peace Corps that some of y'all have probably seen. and so what started is just, like, some research and some talking back and forth about, um, oh, I heard about, you know, this rebellion in this time period. Like, I found this cool book. Um, do y'all want to, like, write and talk more about this? Kind of turned, incidentally, into a book project, um, and which is set to be released in the spring um, by AK Press. It's called Dixie Be Damned, 300 Years of Insurrection in the American South. Um, and, I mean, basically it's a kind of covers from colonization to mass incarceration um, in different areas of the Southeast, Um, looking at kind of spontaneous and autonomous rebellions against different forms of domination based on the time period that it's addressing. Um, And we were looking for kind of periods of history that had been either uncovered or, or kind of covered up or intentionally left out of broader kind of people's history or resistance history. Projects either because they weren't palatable, or there wasn't a clear kind of linear narrative, or um, because of a lot of different reasons, right? And so we just wanted to kind of explore these different stories more and um, and kind of compile them together to um, kind of work towards a kind of continued project towards anarchist, more anarchist historiography um, across North America. Cool.
0: Thanks. So. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the regional focus. You know, Here at, at the Book Fair we have folks from all over, but largely folks from you know Atlanta, New Orleans, all parts of North Carolina, and Virginia, and and I wonder what, uh, what led you to want to focus on this region specifically and what you think, how you think anarchist struggles in this region can benefit from a deeper understanding of the yeah. history of this region.
4: Um, well, in a really basic way, it's because I was born and raised in the South, and so we're the co-author of this book and um, you know a lot of these things that a lot of the kind of the topics in in the book are stories that I grew up around you know just kind of being glimpsed at Um, whether it was you know allusions to um, huge mass kind of desertion within the Civil War of Civil War soldiers and family members I have that are connected to that or um, you know tales of kind of banditry that um, that existed in different towns you grew up in, um, and so some of it just came through trying to figure out what of these um, stories that have been passed down are, are kind of just myths or you know old gossip and what is um part of a larger you know history of um, of revolt and so some of it was that, and I guess it 's because like i 'm an anarchist we 're anarchists here we 're not in Italy in the 19th century, we're not in Oakland in 2009, like we're here in North Carolina right now. And so um, I found that a lot of my comrades constantly, their only um, frame for anarchist history or just even radical history is in huge cities across the country or in Europe um, and doesn't often kind of think about how um, past histories of revolt, where they're from, could potentially inform what we're doing now. And I think it's a lot larger question of how, how that applies. But for me, I mean, a lot of it is just basically inspiration. It's just like some people get their inspiration from different places, and for me, I get it from learning about struggles that happened right here where I am a long time ago.
0: Can you speak a little bit about your historiographical approach, meaning sort of how you conceive of the project of telling history and how... Kind of, kind of like what an anarchist perspective specifically can do to inform uh, how you tell history in contrast to either the sources that you were accessing or the other kinds of narratives about Southern history that you've encountered.
4: Yeah. Well, it's really hard because um, I don't really believe in linear time. I like wrote a book. <laughs> we wrote a book um, chronologically because it's really hard, actually, to do a project like our, ours that's not chronological. Um, and um yeah so for us it was just that um it none of this is really over you know um we're still in the same shitstorm that happened you know 500 years ago when colonization began here and so um it doesn't really seem like when you look at the dates it, you can abstract it and make it seem really far away but you know when you're In the streets, when someone's been killed by the cops and you see how shit plays out there, you realize that not a lot has changed. (laughs) So um, I guess that is how it's relevant to me.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Diana, and
2: good luck. All
1: right, next we're going to hear from um, an anarchist living in Barcelona, who's originally from the US. Who spoke today about uh, some uh, explosive moments following the eviction of a squad earlier this year?
5: Uh, Hi, good to be here.
1: (laughs) Um, Can you give us a a rundown of what your talk was about today? Uh,
5: Yeah, sure. I tried to cover a variety of different moments um, from the more exciting. Visible explosive moments, also to all the, the points in between, which is often uh, where we fail, uh, to look at um, some of the ways that we're analyzing what's happening there with the crisis, with uh, capitalist development, uh, how to confront that, mm-hmm. uh, the changes that we might need to make in, in our day-to-day practice and in, in how we live, either individually or collectively, how we support each other or don't support each other, uh, enable, in order to, to confront Uh, these various capitalist dynamics that either empty out the terrain um, through crisis, for example, the total lack of jobs, which is definitely uh, a situation in Barcelona, or also through uh, extreme forms of uh, gentrification, development, tourism, which paradoxically is also happening simultaneously to this crisis in in Barcelona. But a large focus was definitely on the uh, week of riots at the end of May after the city government evicted the Canvias, social center, which has been squatted for 17 years, Uh, and then people took to the streets. First a small number of people, they started rioting, then a lot more people came out. Um, It it almost generalized into something much heavier, and certainly that threat was um, noted uh, by the state and by uh, a lot of us in the streets, Uh, but in any case coalesced into traditional rioting, but uh, very heavy rioting that the police were unable to to put out until the point that they were forced, even in the absence of dialogue and, and anyone really playing by their rules, to um, concede uh, another few years of, of, of life to this space and essentially to unevict it after they would uh, demolished half of the space and people had decided that they were just going to fuck that and start rebuilding it. Um, so regardless of the state concession, this was something that was created. They were unable to get people off the streets. They were unable to prevent people from rebuilding it. So... Uh, it, it's something that that a lot of people fighting uh, fighting for conquered with their own with their own hands, mm-hmm. their own actions.
2: That's great. Um,
1: I don't know if you actually told this story today, but um, there's this anecdote that you told me earlier about the um, wall being demolished and the painting being visible. Can you can you like tell a quick anecdote? Uh,
5: right. Um, so in the years previous to this, there have actually been a lot of anarchist criticisms of the squats, of the social centers. Uh, some might say Barcelona is a city with too many social centers, there's like 40, uh, a lot of them are underused uh, and this push to create new social centers was coming at a time when the <clears throat> the state and the city of Barcelona in particular was uh, aggressively increasing its control over public space and anarchists in the same time were uh, focusing on these physically enclosed structures which was mainly a bad idea um, anyways uh, the day after the eviction the city started demolishing the building, they had this big uh, excavator, this really big um, piece of, uh, of of equipment there, and they had uh, knocked knocked down the walls. Um, people got mad. Uh, they pushed past the cops. Uh, they set it on fire. Uh, it's also maybe useful to to note, like a certain technical knowledge, like with construction equipment, depending on how much one knows about how it works. Uh, a fire could burn a little bit of paint on it, or it could set the whole damn uh, machine on fire so that it burns for eight hours, for example, which is what happened in this case. So you had like a like a very expensive large um, uh, uh, excavator um, that was burning, and the backdrop to this was one of these murals of of a scene of street struggle um, that had previously been uh, hidden inside the social center. Um, in this closed space, uh, this uh, previously very subcultural space, uh, and it was also a mural that that maybe in certain moments had been untrue because there were like a number of years when uh, the struggle in Barcelona was was very pacified, and they didn 't do much more than paint murals of, of people fighting in the streets, but now, all of a sudden, uh, you have thousands of neighbors able to to walk by and see this big fucking bulldozer. Uh, on fire all night long with the backdrop being this beautiful mural of people running in the streets and throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails, which is actually what was happening in the streets uh, right outside of that. So this was sort of uh, opened up and and, uh, gifted gifted to the world and to all the passers-by.
2: Great. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you.
0: So one of the workshops that we heard this afternoon was a discussion about Uh, Prisoner support for queer and transgender anti-authoritarian prisoners So we're going to speak with one of the folks from that workshop today to tell us a little bit uh, about that discussion Uh, Thanks for being with us.
6: Thanks for having me
0: So uh, in the discussion today y'all talked about some of the support that's happened for uh, different anti-authoritarian prisoners who are queer and trans uh, including Marius Mason uh, former ELF prisoner including Uh, Amazon from the Gender Anarchy Group, including Luca Donovan and um, also Michael Kimball from Alabama, who uh, who we interviewed on this podcast a few episodes ago. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of the similarities and differences between those cases and sort of what that tells us about who gets support and what kind of support.
6: Yeah, the conversations that we were having that kind of prompted us wanting to have this workshop and start this conversation... Um, is like I'm friends with Luke and I think that he deserves a lot of support and I don't want to see that support diminish but we were talking about um, his case in comparison to other prisoners who might not be getting the same support but have um, a very similar story and so some issues that we talked about were issues of access to anarchist communities um, an age gap so Amazon for example from the Gender Anarchy Collective who's um imprisoned in a men's prison in California. She went in in 1982 um, and she's serving a life sentence versus Luke who just went in very recently and is only serving a two year sentence. Um, So this age gap, but also the amount of time that someone's serving in prison um, and how that can lead to sort of commitment issues with support and et cetera. Um, Something else that we talked about was also the question of innocence. and so certain cases being framed in this way where someone's innocent and it's very easy for maybe people outside of an anarchist circle to donate money or send letters and things like that because um, they, can, they feel like this person has been wronged versus someone who is serving um, a life sentence for two counts of murder, for example.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about, from Yale's experience, who spoke on the panel about what kinds of shifts or changes you would like to make in the framework of how we approach prisoner support to address some of the concerns that have come up in this imbalanced support that different prisoners receive?
6: Yeah, um, I think the point of our panel is kind of to create a conversation, and I think we have some ideas, but definitely don't have answers. It seems like it's just a huge problem, I think. Um, But something that we did talk about was there's this focus on letter-writing nights, and we don't want that to... de-emphasized we really want people to continue getting letters but to be um, maybe more creative and more thoughtful as to what else can we do besides letter writing nights Um, what else can we do besides focusing on political prisoners which I think has been a question for a while now but also um, prisoners who kind of have this like celebrity-esque personality that maybe they don't want I don't know but um, in Amazon's case I, I talked about her situation, and in her case, she doesn't want, um, she doesn't give out her personal address, and so she doesn't want letters, and she doesn't want money. And I think that kind of throws a wrench into the gears of how we like, understand prisoner support to begin with, because what does that mean um, if someone doesn't want any of this? And so I think things that we talked about were kind of like being more thoughtful and more creative as to what we can do besides letter writing, um, but also maybe talking with friends in your town. To try to figure out how to support people locally um, and kind of scheming with your crews as to what else you could do to struggle against prison
0: is there anything else you'd like to add
6: uh no okay Great. thank you so much thank you
1: um, one of the people who's just mentioned was uh luco who is a young anarchist from Atlanta who's currently serving two years um, with eight years of rural exile to follow um, after an incident in which um, he was attacked and um, other people who were attacking him were also injured in the process. Um, and so um, one of his friends and supporters is going to read a letter from him.
7: Yeah, I'm also give a quick update on how he's doing. Um, He's in pretty high spirits. He got a job in the kitchen. He's got a pretty good regimen of, of reading, working out, and writing people back. And he's able to receive visitors, and he's getting a ton of letters, and he's, he's uh, doing well on the inside. And he's been inside for over three months now. Okay. And so this is a letter from Luke to be read at the book fair. Comrades, I will try to be brief. Those of you who know me know I have a tendency to blather on, and though there would be a certain poetic humor in my imprisoning you all here for the duration of a lengthy speech, I will save such an <laughs> I forgot to put in the uh, pause for laughter bit there. I, I will save such annoyances for when I can be present and can counterbalance them in person. I'll try to keep to what seems important. I must begin by acknowledging the astounding show of support I've been receiving from close friends and absolute strangers alike. Although many across the country have provided me with invaluable support, I will single out for a moment what has come from the triangle. Though I can hardly say I'm surprised at it, as many of my closest friends and most respected comrades call this place home. What I've received in support from you has been incredibly inspiring. From dance parties to brunches, there's been no small sum of money sent my way, but the value I place on these actions far outweighs even that. My thanks could never be quantified. From floods of letters to news reports, I've received a plethora of smile-coaxing material and too many books for me to receive. I'd ask not to be sent any more books for some time. Even letters, an essential form of support, are getting to be too many to answer. One of the major functions of prisons is the inscription of a certain discipline upon bodies contained within them. It is by rendering prisoners in the weakest state, that of the isolated individual, that prison is able to achieve this. Letters cut through that isolation, allowing prisoners to hold on to convictions that are necessary for any opposition to the social order. Convictions that would otherwise be lost to rehabilitation. It's for this reason I'd like to encourage you all to continue to write prisoners, even if I personally might be too busy to respond. There are many who haven't gotten the type of support I do, and so feel the pressures of prison more acutely. I'd like to make explicit here that I place no value on charity work and reject the position that imagines something essential and revolutionary about the prisoner. Prisoners are no more the revolutionary subject than the workers or people of color, and there's nothing essential about criminality that ought to be ascribed value. So I urge you, don't shy away from theoretical or political topics in your letters. Be open with your intentions and oppositions. These are the type of discussions that can turn a correspondence from an act of charity to an act of war and change we in prison correspondence from victims to combatants. I've alluded to a war above, a war many of you have acknowledged is going on and within which many of you have decided to become partisans. I am an anarchist and a communist, and a part of what that means is that I've committed myself to living and creating a form of life which is made impossible by the current social order. My entire life, like many of yours, will be in conflict with that order, which will no doubt lead me back to the situation I'm in now. For this reason, the truest form of support for me, the only form of solidarity with me, is any act in conflict with disorder, an act that contributes to the strategy of the destruction of prisons and to the abolition of imprisonment. As long as a single prison stands, there will be those who want me in it. Don't let my mention of strategy be lost in passing. Don't let it be ignored. I realize among anarchists there is a certain reluctance to think on the level of strategy. We must abandon the aesthetic romanticization of misery and rebellion. Don't let it be said, however, that I argue for a cold and rational strategy which has numbed me. Beauty, posy, and sincerity are among the things I love most, but my love for them is a mourning love. The beauty, of, the beauty of misery has been lost. Beckett wrote The Eulogy of Misery and no medium has expressed it since. It is not that misery and beauty have gone from this world, but that we have. There are no poets these days because posy has been caged. There are no poets. They have become strategists, They are all off at war for the sake of Posey itself. This war is at stake in every action we take. Each action confirms one ethic or another, and it is only by elaborating our own that we might be anything but liberal subjects, that we might choose our own side. So let us realize that the enemy with which we contend does not stand as a subject facing us, but exists as an environment hostile to us. We must therefore live a life at war within and against this environment. For the proliferation of worlds, for the fairies, For the desert to bloom, build the commune, build the party, caged but never tamed, Luco Donovan.
1: You're listening to the The XEX worker, an audio strike
3: against a monotone (laughs) world.
0: Next we'd like to hear from a couple of folks from the New York City Anarchist Black Cross who have actually made appearances on the podcast before but are back in the saddle again uh, Andrew and Jerry thank you all so much for being here um, earlier today we had uh, a workshop that focused on the question of how to support folks not just while they're inside prison but when they get out, which is something that has often been overlooked in traditional approaches to prisoner support. So, um, Andrew and Jerry, if you all want to talk a little bit about the Anarchist Black Cross in New York City and then about the workshop then that would be great. Uh,
3: Thank you. Kind of a hard act to follow
0: though, I gotta say. Um, And uh, All of us from New York as well send our our love and our uh, Revolutionary greetings to, to Luke and all everyone
8: else currently locked up inside and kept away from us.
7: Andrew, you want to talk about ABC for a second?
8: Sure. The um, the impetus for the workshop came out of a uh, strategic discussion that was facilitated at the Anarchist Black Cross conference a couple of months ago, and um, it came about as a result of thinking of folks who are coming out and um, everything that goes into providing support for them. And it was with the news of Sundiata Akoli facing um, the prospects of getting out and some other folks who have been in for decades getting out and then comrades who are much closer to us, um, folks like the Tinley Park Five who are also coming out and seeing that across these, these decades of imprisonment Folks who may not have been expecting to ever see the other side of the bars are, are coming out. And folks who, going in, knew approximately how long they would be in were coming out. And making sure that we were properly equipped to be able to to um, provide the kind of support for all of those folks that we've been supporting while they're inside as they come out. Yeah,
0: okay. um, yeah. Obviously, we can't exactly summarize what turned into a rather lengthy discussion um, so quickly here, but some of the highlights were uh, this notion of of trying not to uh, valorize or lionize or or tokenize uh, prisoners, be they they politically or social, Um, and also uh, this project that we've been working on trying to build a guide to post-release support, um, which we highly encourage uh, folks to get in touch with us. Or their local ABCs about. Great. Is there anything else that y'all want to add?
8: Um, Fuck the police. (laughs) I would have to concur with that. Fuck the police. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Thank you. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Well done. Well, thank y'all. That's it. Thank you.
2: Um.
1: Next, we're going to talk to a friend and supporter of Andy, um, an anarchist from Philadelphia, who is facing riot charges after a combative demonstration, which occurred in solidarity with the um, uprising in Ferguson. Just want to give us a little update about um, what happened and uh, where folks can get more information or what they can do to help.
9: For sure. Um, On August 23rd, there was a demonstration in Philadelphia in solidarity with folks throwing down in Ferguson. Um, Started out confused and ended up rowdy, all the anarchy favorites except newspaper boxes. Um, A lot of lavender paint ended up on some police cars, which made them look, I thought, a lot cuter, but the cops were really upset about it, and grabbed two people Um, one of whom is Andy, and through, like, a big restitution charge because it costs way too much money to clean a cop car, and brought Andy to the hospital and then denied them treatment and then slapped them with the hospital bill as well, Um, and also court fees because judges got to get paid, right? Wrong. Um, Anyways, we've just been raising money. If you want to get a fly T-shirt or just throw money without getting a flight t-shirt, you should check out youcaring.com slash medical-fundraiser slash help-andy-raise-legal-funds-slash 253232.
1: We'll have that link on our website, <laughs> crimethink.com podcast. It'll be in today's episode notes. Thanks so much.
0: And uh, next we want to talk to one of the local projects from Central North Carolina that uh, was tabling here at the book fair, which is called the Inside Outside Alliance based in Durham, North Carolina. And so we're going to speak to Patricia to hear a little bit about that group and what brought you all here today. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming.
10: Thank you. Um, I was here tabling today uh, on behalf of the Inside Outside Alliance, which is an organization based in Durham, uh, which supports the struggles of people inside the Durham County Jail. So we do a few things to do... To work towards that goal, including making a newsletter where people inside, when they have something they want to share with the outside, and amongst themselves, they can they correspond with us. Uh, obviously via letter because that's their what's available to them. Um, and we, we compile their messages in a newsletter that we send back in and that we circulate around us. And we also do outreach uh, at the prison providing support for people who are there, visiting family and friends, and translating for people uh, who aren't Anglophone uh, in order to understand the very, very complex visitation policy at the Durham County Jail. Um, And we do letter-writing days also.
0: How can folks get involved or support the work that y'all are doing?
10: We have a website, which is amplifyvoices.com, and Uh, we have information about our organization and also quite a few messages from people inside about their experiences at the Durham County Jail.
0: Yeah, and can you share some of the things that you've been hearing from folks inside, either about the kinds of support that they would like to receive or the kinds of conditions they're facing?
10: Uh, A current concern uh, that a lot of people have been voicing is that in the Durham County Jail... mm, The Durham County Jail is supposed to be providing two hot meals a day for prisoners, and recently uh, prisoners have been receiving two sandwiches, two cold sandwiches with cold cuts for dinner, and a lot of people have been expressing hunger as a primary concern, and it creates a class issue because it forces prisoners to buy commissary in order to not go to bed hungry, and I've heard this concern from prisoners as young as 17, and it's very troubling. So if you visit our website, uh, we're doing a call-in day on Monday, uh, although this might not be out. Uh, <laughs> but um, we're working towards preventing this type of abuse in the Durham County Jail.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very
10: much.
1: And last but not least, we're going to hear from another local project. Um, we're going to talk to someone from the group Uncontrollables, which is a student group here at UNC Chapel Hill. Two people, sorry. <laughs> 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 That's the sound of the student struggle, in case you didn't catch it. Um... <laughs> Great, can you guys um, introduce yourselves in whatever way you want and talk about what brought you to the book fair?
11: So uh, we are the Uncontrollables with the capital UNC. We are the uh, local campus student anarchist group. Um, mostly what we do on campus is organize and host events uh, or oriented around anarchism and that sort of fun stuff. Sometimes we do fun things too. And um, why am I at the book fair? Uh, How could I not be?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. Um, So just to kind of expand on what we do, um, a lot of the events are just bringing in speakers that have uh, unique standpoints on anarchism and issues related to anarchism that we may not necessarily have without them being here. Um, We also do a, a radical rush week every year, just you know, as sort of a mockery of traditional rush weeks and uh, sort of just a way to get new students oriented on uh, how the, uh, the left side of the political spectrum works at the university. Um, and yeah, as a, you know, response to why we're at the book fair. Yeah, how could you not be? It's fabulous. I
11: don't know if left would be the term I would use more like way out in the stratosphere, but yeah.
1: sure, let's go with that. Um, can you guys talk about some of the kinds of events you've done recently?
11: Recently we had a really neat event where we brought in um, Marshall Eddie Conway, the ex-Black Panther who was released earlier this year in March. Yeah, um, he's awesome. Uh and that was a really cool event. Um, we got a really good turnout to that too, because that's not something that's not an issue that's unique to anarchists. It's not just an issue of interest to anarchists. I mean, he's an ex Black Panther, um, so we got a lot of different types of people, different voices showing up to that event. Uh, all very respectful. Um, uh Yes, that was one of our recent speakers. Another recent speaker that I thought was really neat was when we brought in the um, former spokesperson for the ELF, and he was speaking about FBI the FBI surveillance on him, so his personal experiences with it, and also of his time with the ELF and the stuff that the ELF did.
3: Yeah, and then there was uh, just this past week the event on... Uh, Ferguson just to kind of get everybody on campus um, a little bit better acquainted with what's actually happening over there. Had a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful guy come in from uh, St. Louis to talk about how the actual action is going over there, how the media has skewed it so far from what it actually is that we can't really tell unless we talk to somebody who's from there. Um, and then another uh, more local uh, member of the struggle talking about um, similar things that have happened around uh, North Carolina, um, particularly in Durham after the murder by police officers of Jesus Chuy Fuerta, comparing those things, talking about how anti-police struggles go, things like that.
11: Not all of our events are that academic in nature though, we promise. Um, Sometimes we get really bored and we do stuff like call for a heckling of um, the purge anarchy. Uh, (laughs) uh, our school was showing the purge anarchy in this free viewing and the uncontrollables were like we should troll this Uh, so we showed up we passed out pamphlets that taught people how to be as annoying as possible during the movie and it was a lot of fun and at first people were a little bit hesitant to get involved but by the end of the movie everybody was (coughs) cheering and jeering with us so who won here (laughs) that's great
1: Um, so you guys had a student breakout discussion here at the book fair Um, can you talk about that and what it was like and if anything interesting came out of it
3: Uh, sure yes so that was a fantastic thing whoever's idea that was um, that was awesome Um, had a few from uh, student groups at NC State, Appalachian State Um, Georgia State, Um, let's see where else, Uh, UNC Asheville, and uh, just kind of all around um, come and talk about how uh, similar um, anarchist action works in their campuses, Um, a lot of stuff with the Students for Democratic Society, which seems to have a completely different definition depending on what campus you're at, Um, and just uh, spreading ideas around on how uh, each campus group organizes, what we can learn from each other, um, trying to, I guess, in the end, establish um, more of a more of a consistent network around the state and around uh, the South, really, you know, roping Georgia in there, um, of all of these different groups, so that we can kind of coordinate with each other, uh, help each other out a little bit more, advance the struggle by adding more people into it.
11: We found out at the talk that uh, most of these groups were all working with completely different levels of membership, of funding, of resources, and of demographics, so um, we discussed the differences that that brought, because um, there are a lot, and you know, the status of every student organization at different schools is different, and then a lot of these groups are not student organizations, official ones, I mean. Um, so we spoke about the different challenges that we were facing, as well as what we were trying to achieve. That was on the same plane.
1: Great! Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Go. All right, and we're gonna wrap it up with next week's news. Alanas, what's coming up?
0: Wow. Um.
6: Excuse
0: me. Well. For those of you who are listening to this who are not in the audience right now, who couldn't make it to this book fair, there's actually a whole bunch more anarchist book fairs coming up, in case you're interested. on uh, The 29th of November in Manchester and Salford, United Kingdom, uh, December 5th through 8th in Madrid, Spain, in Cape Town, South Africa on December 6th, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina on the 6th and the 7th, and in Oakland, California on the 7th of December.
1: Ohio anarchist prisoner Sean Swain has put out a call for support for Blackjack, his former cellmate. Back in episode 10, we read Sean's essay, Days of Tear Gas, Blood, and Vomit. Has anyone read this? Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Um, and it's, uh, if you haven't, it's his uh, inspiring account of fighting off a goon squad of heavily armed, uh, they called it Extraction Squad, um, and he was armed with a tube of toothpaste, a broken broomstick, and some styrofoam cups. Um, Blackjack was his co-conspirator in that rebellion, which is more than enough to merit our admiration. He's been in solitary for over a year, targeted for being an anarchist, and because a rap verse he wrote appeared in materials by the 12 Monkeys crew of prison rebels. For his address and some more info on him, check out seanswain.org or follow the link on our website.
0: And last but not least, we want to share, as we often do at the end of our episodes, some prisoners who have birthdays coming up, in case you want to write them. Though, of course, bear in mind the things that we've heard earlier about the importance of stepping up prisoner solidarity beyond simply letter writing. But that said, uh, on December the 5th is uh, Sutomo Shirosaki, who is a former underground armed revolutionary from Japan who's serving a 30-year sentence in a U.S. prison. On December 12th, Uh, Zolo Azania, a former Black Panther framed for the killing of an Indiana cop, and on December 15th, uh, Fred Muhammad Burton, another black radical framed for the killing of a cop in Philadelphia.
1: And that's it for this episode of The X worker Thanks to everyone who talked with us tonight. Thank y'all for being here at the 2014 Carbro Anarchist Book Fair.
0: <laughs> thanks for the delicious food. Thanks for all the books and zines. And we'll see you next time.
1: And thanks for the memories.